Welcome to Flyover Conservative Podcast with David and Stacey Whited, where we break down current events and examine culture through the lens of conservative Christian values. You know, a lot of you have heard us reference. We've never gone into great detail with it, but, uh, you know, before our podcast life, we, our kids were in high school. We lived in Mexico for, for a few years and, and did orphan care, lived in orphanages mm-hmm. and just worked Want our kids to be able to serve and, 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 and our us to serve. We thought we were there helping them. And ultimately we, we gained more than, than anybody in so the process. True. It was brought to a screeching halt one night when my uh, son, who was 17 at the time, he, he and I were held up by eight members of the drug cartel uh, that surrounded our car. Uh, they were unmasked. So we knew uh, their intent was, was not good. Uh, uh, wanted to pull us out of a minivan they and had uh, machine guns, they had machine guns uh, mm-hmm. you know, so, so it's kind of a, we, we share that story sometimes people are like, man, that's such a dangerous place to be. And they think of the drug cartel and El Chapo and, and, and those, those cartels. And, uh, you know, uh, just, I don't want to be a spoiler alert, but we lived and uh, we did. <laughs> it was a, truly a miracle. We did escape story for another time, an incredible, you know, divine intervention from God. We were able to escape without harm. Uh, but when people hear that, think of the cartel, how dangerous of a place it is. I want to challenge you over this, this next uh, little bit on this episode we get into today. There are two other cartels that instead of being in a foreign country and having machine guns driving around the track, driving around in a truck, they might be in your neighborhood. They're mm-hmm. probably in every single city and they impact the life of every single one of you that are watching. These two cartels have taken over and uh, you may or may not even know it. But we're going to unpack this for you in a way that only one person can. Uh, you know, when I get advice, it's great if the person has good advice. But if I can get advice from somebody who advises the people that I would go to advice, people like Ron Paul, these kind of people go to today's guest mm-hmm. for advice. His book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, has been one of the most influential writings um, of our time. And some of his interviews going back to the 60s detail the current mm-hmm. circumstances of the world that we've been surviving the last two and three years, almost with eerie detail. Yep. So excited to have on the show, G. Edward Griffin. Yay! Oh, I love that soundtrack. That applause. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, g- getting... I'm- Get, getting good reactions is too important to leave to chance That's in true. life. You, know, you deserve you, the applause. You, you don't know when you're going to get them. So if you can bake it in the cake, it's even it's even better. Uh, thank yeah. you for taking time out to be with us on this show. I'm, I'm humbled, honestly, to have a conversation with you. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. So you were talking about cartels. Yes, the drug cartel. Which one are we talking about? The illegal <laughs> drug cartel or the... the Great the question. More, good distinction. The more, the more dangerous cartel is the legal drug cartel. And there are more deaths and destruction caused from that side than from the illegal side. And most people don't, they, they know it, but they don't think about it because they know that over medication and uh, misprescriptions and side effects from prescription drugs and all that is right up there with the second or third cause of death in the world today. It's worse in the United States than any part of the world because we are the biggest drug takers because they advertise drugs on our television sets, but most countries outlaw that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the cartels are something to really be concerned about. Well, and the, you know, the El Chapo and the Mexican cartels and Colombia cartels, and they don't have the marketing arm in the PR campaign that sponsors every news program and yep. uh, every, every, you know, sponsoring the Olympics and brought to you by Pfizer. And, you know, these things, uh, they have so much positive 
marketing that is kind of just kind of baked into the cake. It's just sort of the soundtrack of people's lives. And you just assume that if all of these reputable programs are in alignment with it and they reference them constantly, these are, these are, these are tried and true tested things. But before you were alerted to all of that, your sort of first alarm that went off was another cartel involving the banks. And so, uh, you know, you've kind of sounded the alarm of the two biggest, you, you called the, called your book Creature from Jekyll Island, but the two biggest creatures that, that, that we have to fear today, you sort of were the, the tip of the spear on both. Yeah, I picked my opponents pretty carefully. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> big time. <laughs> yeah, these, these people don't play around too, because if, uh, if you cross swords with them, uh, your longevity statistics uh, get changed quite a bit. Uh, so anyway, I knew what I was doing. And um, I never realized, though, that my works would be so widely disseminated that it would really pose much of a threat to these people. Not that it would have made any difference, but uh, I was both surprised and delighted to see as time passes that the number of people who've read my books and talked about it and had me on programs such as yours, and we've reached millions and millions of people yeah. that... Uh, just I never thought we would do. So I'm elated by the uh, controversy. And um, it doesn't bother me anymore that when you go to to uh, Wikipedia, the first thing you say see there is G. Edward Griffin, well-known conspiracy theorist, comma. I mean, that's the get my name first and then my my um, <clears throat> my pedigree from them afterwards. So it, <laughs> it used to bother me because uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a conspiracy historian mm. and, uh, <laughs> yeah it's a great it's, point it's a it, great it's point true. yep yeah if anybody thinks there are no such things as conspiracies in the world i really feel sorry for them because that means they've never read a history book mm. <laughs> i mean all the great events of history mm -hmm. have been have been formed at one point or another in conspiracies of one kind and if you go to most courtrooms today other than traffic courts and that and that kind of thing, you'll find that a good percentage, I'm going to guess around 20 to 30 percent of the court cases that they're hearing in the courts today involve conspiracies of one kind or another. Hmm. So conspiracies are a major fact of life in our midst. And anybody that scoffs at somebody that talks about conspiracy is, um, shall we just say, not informed. I mean, I'll clean it up and call them uninformed people. That's a yeah. great point. Let me ask you a question. You know, you wrote the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. I know that a lot of people have heard of it. I don't know how many of our listeners have personally read it. They may have read uh, this one right here, okay. the child's version. If, if you want to appear to be smarter than you really are, you could buy this one from uh, TuttleTwins.com yeah, and read exactly. it for your children. And you're like, I'm going to read this for my kids. And then actually you'll have a better idea a of, of the, the principles of The Creature from Jekyll Island. And it's, you know, kind of beautifully, uh, you know, illustrated and it's, you know, kind of a neat, neat story that you could probably read in about 20 minutes, but uh, uh, these ideas to get them into the, the, the minds of, of kids as early as possible, I bet when you were first beginning the, the writing of this and studying what happened in 1910 and moving forward, you know, I never even thought it'd be, probably didn't even dream of being children's books. No kidding. So how did that no. start? How did that come about? How did, how did uh, you start down this road? Because you were going one direction and you turned another. How did that start? Sometimes it's hard to know because there's so many zigzags in the road and trying to remember what they are. It gets pretty confusing after a while. By the way, I, um, I, my first interest in 
in what's happening, really happening in the world, started in 1960. And my first interest was triggered by learning the truth about the United Nations. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what jolted me out of my little eggshell and made me realize that the that I didn't know very much about what was really happening in the world. And when I discovered that the United Nations was not our last best hope for peace, which was what I was taught in school. And when I discovered that it was just the opposite of that, I became rather incensed by the fact that uh, I'd been lied to and everybody else had been lied to. And so that was the beginning of a process. And so my first, my first book was on the United Nations. It was called The Fearful Master, A Second Look at the United Nations. And then uh, I became very deeply involved in, in geopolitical issues, We'll call them political issues, but not partisan politics. We're talking about political issues such as communism and socialism and capitalism and revolutions and uh, wars and things like that. And what are the motives behind all of these great violent events of history? In in that sense, it's politics. Yeah, there's a a copy of uh, Mm -hmm. my first book. And so I was deeply deeply involved in that. And then uh, I became interested in in healthcare because of a friend of mine who is a doctor in the San Francisco area. His name was John Richardson, and he was an eye, ear, nose, and throat practitioner, had a wonderful practice there, a big thriving practice, and a very uncontroversial, very orthodox position. And uh, he started to treat cancer patients with an unapproved uh, substance which was not approved by the FDA, I should say. And to his amazement, he started very cautiously at the recommendation of his office manager who had heard about this substance and said, we ought to try this in the practice, don't you think, doctor? He said, well, I don't know. Never heard of it, but we can try it. And uh, actually, they tried it on his dog. Dog had cancer. And they were going to put the dog down because there was nothing you could do for the dog. And uh, the dog got well. And then... (laughs) <laughs> the nurse, one of the, one of the nurses there in the in the clinic, where I'm in Dr. Richardson's office in his clinic, her husband was dying of cancer, and they they had tried everything on him, and she said, you know, Dr. John, could we try this on my husband? I mean, he's going, you know, he's not going to last very long. He says, I don't know, my dear, but I guess what, what have we got to lose? So very cautiously, he applied it, and he got well. Now they had everybody's wow. attention. Yeah. And yeah. So, he began to uh, use it very cautiously on some of his cancer patients in the practice, and they were getting well. So he knew he was on to something big, and he, he, he had learned everything he could about it and was running a pretty lively practice in treating cancer patients. Because, you know, these people have been told they have three or four weeks to live, and they come back, and now they're playing golf. Wow. They talk about They talk yeah. about this. And yes. uh, the, word gets, the word starts to spread. And the first thing you know, Dr. John was running a, a cancer clinic in San Francisco area where people were coming from all over the world. And now this is when he caught the attention of the California Medical Association. Oh, yeah. And the, and the American Medical Association and the other doctors. And they approached him and said, Dr. Richardson, if you do not stop using this, this substance, this unapproved substance by the FDA, we're going to have to deny you your hospital privileges and take away your license. Bad for business. Yep. Bad for business. That's when Dr. John called me 
and we were friends, but I had no interest in medicine or anything. He said, Ed, you're a writer. I'm a doctor. I treat patients. You write books and things. He said, I can't write an article, but maybe you could help an art, me write an article to tell people what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and how it works. And maybe I can get these idiots off my back mm. so I can continue to save lives. And uh, I said, well, sure, John, I could that's, be, had, be glad to do that. You know, I figured it would take me about a week or 10 days to figure out what this was all about. And I would write the article and he would publish it and we could go back to whatever we were doing. Well, I had no idea how much voltage was in that wire I was going to grab hold of. Wow. Wow. I had no idea. I had, Man. I was one typical person. I figured that there were two kinds of people in the world. There were healthy people and there were sick people. And thank God I was one of the healthy ones. I never thought that there was any, that the, we had any choice in whether mm -hmm. we were healthy or sick. It was just the way it happened. Either it rained today or it didn't rain. Gotcha. And either you got wet or you didn't. And that was it. It was not your responsibility. So that's where I came from. And I thought if I ever got cancer, I would go to a doctor and ask him to fix it. Well, when I found out that the science of cancer therapy was not nearly as complicated as the politics of cancer therapy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I found out that the history of this cartel we're talking about, the pharmaceutical cartel, which has a lock over all of the healthcare in America and around the world now, uh, that this this was a, didn't just happen. It was paid for, lock, stock, and barrel by the investors in the pharmaceutical industry back at the turn of the last century, the Rockefellers and people like that who were heavily invested in uh, chemical nostrums, as they were called in the beginning, which came out of Germany. That was where the whole pharmaceutical industry originated, was in Germany. It was an offshoot of the dye stuffs industry, which then went into, into munitions and then into into pharmaceuticals. And I, when I'm learning all this stuff and I found out, oh my gosh, they were supported by the Nazis and uh, the Nazis were deeply involved in all of this. And I got into this issue of, of communism versus fascism versus national socialism and all these things. And I think, yeah, what have I touched here? This is, <laughs> yeah. this is <laughs> This took a lot longer find. than a week or 10 days, huh? Yeah. Well, it, it's probably like like looking at a giant pot of chili and trying to separate the hamburger from the beans from the sauce. I mean, it's just, you can't, yeah. it's and all, that, it's all. While you're doing that, and while you're doing that, a giant sea octopus springs out and over the whole room. <laughs> what a mess. It just what kept unraveling mess. like a sweater, you yeah, know, that just pulled a string, just got pulled apart. I, you know, the, the sad thing or the funny thing is it's still that way somewhat. I'm still discovering mm -hmm. aspects to the mm -hmm. cartels that I never even knew about. So anyway, so I got into all of that and my friend said, look, write your book on, um, on the cancer issue, um, the science, but leave all that politics out. Because when you start talking about the Nazis and the Nuremberg trials and all of this stuff, you're just going it, to, it's going to be controversial and people are not going to buy your book. I almost went for it because I thought, yeah, they're probably right. Because even I resisted the idea in the beginning when yeah. this information was presented to me by Dr. Richardson's office manager. Again, he was the guy. I kept sending it back. I said, look, I'm, I, don't tell me this stuff. I want to just deal with the cancer issue. I don't care what happened in Nazi Germany and all that. He kept sending it to me and all the, the symbolism from the ancient world and all the, oh man, I didn't want to read it, but I, once I got my nose into those those reports, mm. I couldn't yep. put it down. And I, I came to the conclusion that, yeah, it's controversial. And, yeah, a lot of people will be turned off by it. 
and therefore they probably won't read the part about um, the science behind cancer. And I, then I realized that already when I was telling people about what I had learned before my book was published, the biggest opposition I ever had was from people who would say, but Ed, look, if this is true, how come my doctor doesn't know about mm. it? Million dollar yep. question. I'm sure that you yeah. still get that. Well, of course, because it's a legitimate question. Mm -hmm. It and is. Unless you, unless you have the answer to that question, which is the cartel. That's the answer. They locked up the whole medical profession, the, the schools, the textbooks, the instructors, the curricula, everything. They got rid of all uh, uh, comp competing forms of medicine. And just now it's just drug, it's just petroleum-based medicine. And yeah. if, if you don't understand that, you don't understand why your doctor doesn't hear about it. So I decided to proceed with it. And I'm glad I did because there were some other books that came out along the way that had pretty much followed the original advice and just stick with the science. And they flashed in the pan and they're gone. Nobody paid much mm -hmm. attention to them. But my book has con continued now since I think it was published in 1974. And I've had many, many, many reprints. It still sells very well. Wow. And, uh, and so that's how I got into that. And like so much, almost everything in my life, I back into things. I never <laughs> intended, to, I never intended to, to do anything like this. So that's how I, I got into that. Now, you asked me about the, the book on the creature from Jekyll Island. Yeah. All right. Well, how do I condense this story? Well, I'm out there as a struggling independent uh, communicator. I'm a crusader. I discovered I had a crusader gene, and I had to save the world. <laughs> yep. There's no cure for so that. I, there's no cure for that. The only cure for it is to save the world. So yeah. yep. I, I was on my mission, on my horse, tilting the windmills. And uh, I figured the only way I could reach large numbers of people is to make little films out of them, like 16 millimeter films. This was before the day of video. Uh, so I made some 16 millimeter films of lectures, basically, that I had given on these topics. And one of my uh, topics was on, on, on money, it was on, on um the the cause of inflation at least mm -hmm. i said one of my topics not that i produced it but one i intended to produce was on the, the, what is the cause of inflation so i thought that would be something i could handle and you talk about grabbing hold of another electric wire with high voltage how did i know i was going to get involved in something called the federal reserve system yeah which you, which you do when you have to, have to answer the question, what's the cause of inflation? Mm -hmm. Because the Federal Reserve System is the cause of inflation. It's a cartel. I didn't know what that word meant, but I found out what it meant. And they have the, been given the power by Congress to create money out of debt. And, yeah. of course, there's, there's no limit to the amount of debt that you can create. That's easy. You just lend money to people. And when you lend something to them, and you create it, you write little pieces of paper and say, I owe you, and you sign there, and they, you give it to them, and they can exchange it. That's money today. So they create money out of debt, that money that didn't exist before. Right. So talking about power <laughs> and uh, a temptation for corruption, it's, all, it's extreme. So I knew none of that either. So here I am, another one of those octopuses coming out of the jar. <laughs> and uh, that was a seven-year project. Wow. Really got to the point where I felt, okay, I guess I'm ready to, to stand up and face, face to face some of these college professors that are teaching money and banking in the universities. Because I thought, 
man, they're going to slaughter me when I got out there. I don't know, I don't know anything about money and banking. I, I'm a kid who went to school to have fun. I didn't study very much. And um, I certainly didn't study money and banking. And here I'm writing a book about the biggest cartel of history. And, and it's all about money and banking. And I thought these, some professor is going to stand me up in front of everybody and just slice me up and, and dice me and make me look like, like the fool that I am. And I nervously waited for that moment. And it never came except in one event, which I'm, I'll tell you about now, because I think it's, it's highly informative. I'd been on the speaker's tour after my book was published, The Creature from Jekyll Island. And I was back on, uh, on the East Coast in some little town on the East Coast. I've forgotten what it was, but not important. I was invited to a radio station to uh, be interviewed by a, a talk show host there on my new book, which I was, uh, which I was um, promoting on the lecture tour. And when, when was this in, was this like well, that maybe 19, about 19, probably about 1996 or something like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I said, sure, I'll be glad to be interviewed. I thought this is great. This is why I'm out there. Get to talk about my book. Maybe somebody will, will want to buy a copy or two. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I get to the, to the station and, um, uh, and I'm invited into the little studio there, and I see that there, there are three chairs. The host is sitting in one, and then on opposite sides facing each other were two other chairs, and I was to get one. And I was informed that the other chair would be filled by a college professor from the local university who taught money and banking. I thought, okay. my moment, my execution moment has arrived. <laughs> <laughs> I was scared to death. I said, well, here it comes. Here it comes. Get it over with. So this guy shows up. He seemed like a very nice gentleman, a very well-educated guy, nice manner. At least he wasn't going to shout at me. And um, so the show went on the air, and the host said, well, Mr. Griffin, uh, tell us in a short summary, a couple minutes, of what is your complaint about the Federal Reserve System? So I condensed it down to about a two- or three-minute summary. I sort of listed all the things that I found were outrageously wrong with the Federal Reserve System. And when I was done, I said, that's it. And so the host turns to the professor and he said, well, professor, what is your response to that? I'll never forget this. It's been blazing in my mind. He sat there for what seemed like the longest time. He sort of tapped his fingers together like this. He was looking at his hands and he said, finally, he spoke. He said, well... Everything he says is true, but we're living well, aren't we? Oh, wow. And that was Whoa. it. That was it. It's okay, in other words, to lie, cheat, steal, and plunder as long as we're living well. Well, of course, not everybody was living well. Right. People, the bankers were living very, very well. Politicians who supported it were living very, very well. And even, even I was living pretty good because I was selling some books. But the average person was having their, their value of their purchasing power crushed, crushed day sure. by mm -hmm. day. Inflation was pushing them down. And we were coming to the day that we're now arrived at right. where nobody can afford to live. Mm -hmm. And it's going to get worse. And I saw that way back then. It's, it's not going to be as cushy as it is today because of the Federal Reserve. So, but to the college professor, the only thing that mattered was we are living well, aren't we? 
Wow. So that was, was no yeah, regard yeah. for other individuals or the future, or the future their own of grandchildren, his, of his grandchildren oh. or great grandchildren. No, no thought on what that future is going to hold for them. Exactly. Yeah. The idea wow. basically is that uh, if we didn't have the Federal Reserve, with all of its faults, which, which he acknowledged, if we didn't have that, we would probably still be living in caves eating raw meat. You know, wow. all of all of the progress of civilization, in his view, was the result of the Federal Reserve System and Federal Reserve. I mean, uh, fractional reserve banking and fiat money and that kind of thing. You know, so we, we've it. been we've been really blessed. Stacy's grandmother uh, in a couple of weeks will turn one hundred and one mm-hmm. and she has a large garden, lives on her own, drives herself. She's. Sassy. She's more ornery than really what you can tolerate uh, when you're when you're around her, and she's just funny and and just kind of she's a go getter. Um, but but it gives you perspective when she talks about you know times and you know no indoor plumbing when she had four kids and diapers and all this kind of stuff and what you know. See, so when you're having a conversation with somebody, you're not reading in a book, but you're hearing it, and then you realize the wages, you know, what somebody made. But then you also look at the kind of lifestyle that they had. It was a you know different era. One of the examples that we use on the show quite a bit, we'll talk about in 1917, if you had one ounce of gold uh, or a $20 bill, you could buy a man's suit in a clothing store, the hat, the belt, the shoes, shirt, you could buy a whole suit where today that one ounce of gold could still buy you a whole men's suit in most clothing stores in America, but the $20 bill probably couldn't buy you the socks. Um, and that's the impact it's had. Typically, until recently, we would have had to have a conversation with Stacy's grandmother to like, wow, you know, you used to be able to go for dinner for a quarter, you know, or these mm-hmm. kind of just, you know, gas was, you know, 10 cents or, you know, these kind of crazy numbers of what, what prices were. But we're in an era now where somebody remembers like a year ago, mm-hmm. you know, pricing, you know, inflation is happening so fast that you don't have to talk to your grandmother, great grandmother. You just have to have a good enough memory that you can remember like last summer, mm-hmm. you know, hey, there she is. There's Janice Mullen. She's the best. 101. And just 101. Make, I love that. I love that number. Yeah. It's because she she keeps moving. She's always gardening and moving and 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 uh and giving advice. Yep. And so that's the that's the main the main thing. Always keep busy. Well, now that's what that's what keeps the old folks going is giving advice. Oh exactly. She's it's the best. Great. And we heed her advice. We're oh, like, yes, we're thank calling, you for that. I, I I'm going to apply it. She cans and jars our our son who's you know running the show producing. He just ordered a new thing to be canning and and uh, he's getting together with them and Stacy's mother and here in two weeks and they're gonna be canning tomatoes and all that you know. So it's like those skills are really probably more valuable now than they've been than they have been for a lot of of decades. But this inflation is impacting people so quickly that they they they're really feeling it. You know, uh, they have now two people working. And they're not producing the same kind of lifestyle that you could have ever produced before, less opportunity to ever mm-hmm. own own their own home. And they find that they're kind of falling in line when they hear the Klaus Schwab and the Yuval Harari and them say, you're going to own nothing and you'll be happy. Mm-hmm. It like they're, they're kind of understanding you will own nothing. Now, I don't know if they're going to be happy about it or not, but it's happening well, so yeah. fast. My point with all of that is we don't need these old story. Hey, I remember when back in the fifties, they could, you know, buy a milkshake for mm-hmm. a nickel. You know, it's like, it's happening last year, two years happening ago. so fast mm-hmm. now that like the next time you might go through a drive through with your kids, the price has changed. And it's mm-hmm. like so fast, you know, the next, the next week you're at the store, the prices have changed. It's accelerating. Is where do you see that element going? Cause you've been talking about inflation before people were concerned when you brought up inflation in the nineties, they're like, yes, but 
we're living well. They don't say that now. They don't say, yes, but we're living well. No. Now what they're saying is, yes, but what are you going to do about it to save us? Mm. They're, they're turning to the same people that created the problem. And they're saying, what are you going to do to save us? And of course, the people that created the problem, we're talking about the cartel called the central banks, the Mm -hmm. federal reserve system in our case, uh, they, they knew this time was coming. This is not a surprise for them. They they know the history of money very well. It was just a question of, could they push off the, the collapse point past their lifetime, let somebody else worry about it. But now they, they have decided in my view, they have decided that, okay, it's, we can't push it. We can't kick the the can down the street any further. Mm -hmm. Now it's, here so what we're going to do is we're going to just blow it up ourselves and just just destroy it so it completely collapses as quickly as possible so that the people will turn back to us and say what are you going to do what's the solution and they've been working on the solution of course for a long time they're now calling it the cbcd the central bank currency they've they've wanted a cashless society for so long they started writing about it a hundred years ago before it was even conceivable. But uh, now, with the, yeah, thank you for putting that up. Now with the, uh, with the advent of digital everything, uh, digital money, of course, is a reality, and, and a cashless money is even, even more desirable to them. See, the piece of paper there is still, it's still currency. It's in your pocket. It's yours. It's you possess it. And when you go to the bank, you say, this is my dollar, and I'm putting it in deposit, but when I want it back, it's mine. Mm -hmm. But now even that has changed. I don't know if you're aware of that, but the money you put into the banks now, since about five or six years ago is not yours. I don't Mm. know. Most people don't know that. Now the laws have been changed very quietly. Congress passed the laws. Nobody didn't reach the newspapers. Now legally, that money is considered to be invested in the bank, like you bought stock in the bank. So it's now theirs to do with as they please. And mm-hmm. if they lose it, it's too bad. It's not yours. It was theirs. So um, Wow. Kind of like what is, they're trying to do with our kids today. Those are not your kids. They're our kids, the state. That's exactly the same thing. Yeah, the same mm-hmm. concept. So, But even that is is soon to be gone because at least while you possess it, it's in your hands or in your pocket. Mm-hmm. You can stuff the tin can full of it and bury it in the backyard and fall back on it. But now what they want is to get that out of circulation, too, so that you have nothing in your hands, nothing that you can store on your own. And that's where the digital money comes in. It's, it's more digital than even credit cards, with our, which are digital. But these are uh, programmed digitals, which means that they can program the value of it. And um, it's, there's no free market component of it at all. It belongs to the banks and they issue it to you and they can take it away from you as either a fine for a criminal activity or a a fine for punishment for something that is socially unacceptable. And they're very much into social credit scores Mm -hmm. now, same as the Chinese people have. Mm -hmm. So they can make you totally dependent on them for everything in your life, which is the the ultimate chain of slavery. And we're coming very close to that. And this is not happening by um, evolution. It's happening by design. Yeah. And the, mm-hmm. the, yeah, I like that picture because there you see it is being built. There's a crane building it. It's not being built from the bottom up. It's being built from the top down. Yes. I've heard you sense. say in the past, you're better at the watts than the winds. 
Um, yeah. and, uh, uh, but let's talk about the, the watt a little, a little bit more, you know, in my hand here, I have, you know, 10 ounces of silver. This is a currency You know, there's a lot of currencies, you it's know, it's tangible. It's tangible. You mm-hmm. can touch it. I can hold it. I can have it. I could hide it. I could put it in depository. I could maybe come there and maybe I could get by 20 of your books. You might trade me some of your books for 10 out, you know, or whatever. But a lot of things are, you know, if, if things got really tough, the bank shut down, you might trade bottles of wine for, you know, uh, chickens or something, mm-hmm. you know, what, whatever's of value. Um, there was people during lockdowns with COVID, you know, we had listeners and people emailing us that they were buying hydroxychloroquine. They're trading nine millimeter, you know, bullets for it, you know, cases of ammunition for hydroxychloroquine. They're doing like just trades of, of mm-hmm. different things, what people needed and they thought was going to be scarce. Um, anything like, that's going like to be toilet, scarce like can toilet become toilet a currency. Like toilet, toilet paper. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Toilet which, paper. which was, which is, you know, this basically, yeah. <laughs> um, but 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 talk about that 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 mechanism the what a little bit more. I've heard you reference that that the life they're trying to create best case scenario would look like we're all in the military, and yes, that, that kind it. of a of analogy. Yeah, that's a more comprehensive view because it's not focused just on money. It's part of a of a bigger plan to control humans, all of us. As totally, not just through money, but through through uh, information and through food, through medications, through education, everything. They want total control of our minds, our bodies, and our souls. And so that takes money is the great key that opens up all of that stuff. But it takes more than money. Money buys certain things. Mm-hmm. They buy the services of other people. So what are those other things? Well, it's everything you can think of that we need. So, and my best analogy is like when I was in the military for a brief period of time, uh, they provided everything I needed. Uh, They provided shelter, food, clothing, Mm -hmm. medical care. Uh, They gave me a few bucks at the end of the month, but it was just more of a token than anything else. And uh, they gave me discounts at the PX store on base so I could buy things much cheaper than any place else or anybody else could buy and all that. But I was totally dependent on them for all of these things. And I was happy. I'm just a kid. I said, gee, this is great. I can, I can get all this free stuff. And, um, but what I didn't realize is that I paid a price for it. I had, mm. I saw people who of superior rank. They had, I just had a couple of stripes on my shoulder. These guys had, had gold, a brass and, and silver insignia on their collars and on their caps and the guy with more stripes, I had to salute all these people, you know, mm-hmm. and I had to. Um, they didn't yes realize you were no. G. Edward Griffin. <laughs> they didn't know that then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they would have cared. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even allow you the initial up front. It's just, Private yeah. Griffin, give me 25 pushups. I can't imagine. Yeah. So I realized looking back on it, how regimented the whole society was in the yeah. military. Of course, that was just one part. You get off the base and you go back to your family and live outside the, that military world and you're back in the real world again. But now what they're thinking about is something where there is no other world. That's mm-hmm. the, the whole world is a military base. And people are, uh, they have advantage depending on their rank, what mm-hmm. uniform they wear, what's their rank. And the higher the rank or the more privileges they have, and the ones at the very top live like the kings and queens, of course, and they don't have, they don't own anything, except as you define the word ownership. What does ownership mean? There you get into a, a little interesting topic. I believe the proper definition of ownership means 
the the legal system under which you are legally allowed to control mm. a piece of property, control it or restrict it for your own personal use. If you can restrict it or control it at will, then you own it, whether you have a piece of paper that says you own it or not. The test is not the piece of paper, but your ownership, your your control over it. Well, in that environment, those who control your housing and your food supply and your everything else, they own you. They own you because they control you. So, so that's who's who's in control is the is the central bank in control of our government or is our government the people that we elect and give us that feeling of I'm in charge because I'm sending this guy to represent me in Washington? Who's in control, the elected officials or the central bank, the Federal Reserve? Okay, I'm going to be very controversial in my answer. So I hope everybody's sitting down. First of all, <laughs> we don't we don't elect anybody. Those elections are totally rigged. Let's get you face it, everybody. Mm-hmm. Those. Elections are rigged, and they have been for quite a while. I, I became aware of this a long time ago. So who, regardless of who wins, no matter what the propaganda is, it was programmed. So we don't elect people. And even the ones that we like, if they happen to be elected, they're elected because the powers that be wanted them to be elected. Mm. So putting that issue aside, that's pretty controversial in itself. But I go on one step further, and that is that uh, – uh, who controls? Is it the banks or the governments? Well, they're merged together now. It's one one conglomerate. But if there's a one one side of this conglomerate or partnership that is stronger than the other, it's the banks, because the people with the money can buy the politicians. The politicians are for sale. They don't get elected. Or they don't. I mean, they don't get chosen to be elected. Mm-hmm even forgetting the voting aspect, unless they're on the team. And um, so, and that takes money. You have to Mm -hmm. promise these people and give them tremendous advantage. Of course, you're giving them the big house for a while and plenty of retirement benefits and, you know, protection and all that and free airplanes and stuff. (laughs) This is pretty tempting. And also, most of these politicians have some dirt on them that is being held over them. And as long the minute they step out of line, the the public will discover that they have been involved in some horrendous activities that would be devastating to their career and their reputation and possibly even to their lives. So these politicians, I'm sorry to say, not 100 percent of them, but the majority of them are held in a rigid cage like that. So the question is, who is controlling the bankers or the or the politicians? I'm going to say the bankers. And um, I think that. Uh, I would be hard pressed to prove that it was the politicians because the the politicians depend on the bankers for campaign donations. They depend Mm -hmm. on the bankers for news, news coverage that's favorable because the bankers control the news media. And if the bankers decide that you're, you're a candidate that they do not want to receive public exposure, you're either banned completely or everything that's said about you is negative and you will not get, you won't even be Mm -hmm. considered in the polls. Yeah. The polls their polls are just for show anyway, but you will not be elected. Well, ne- neither party seems to be tapping the brakes on spending, uh, whether it's, yeah. you know, the, the numbers are so ludicrous. Hey, let's just send another $100 billion to Ukraine or something. And it's not that your heart's not in the right place. I'd like to give every homeless person like $20,000 as I drive by. I just don't have it. If I had the ability to print money, then I could. Mm-hmm. 
you know, yeah, well, who, but then the money wouldn't hurt. be worth it. It wouldn't be wouldn't be worth anything. But they yeah. but they but they, they raised the debt ceiling, and now they're I don't know if it passed, but where they're there really is not one for mm-hmm. a, you know a period of time. So th- th- there's there doesn't seem to be any intention f- on their part for this to have any value. I know you don't like to get into the wins. You like to stick with the watts. But let's just could we at least say this thing's on life support. It's 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 days are numbered and everybody that that is supposed to be protecting it seems to be pressing the gas not the brakes on devaluing I, it. I think that's good. Is that fair? I would probably Yeah, I would say if it's on life support the life support is failing. I'll just take, take it to the one more extreme step. But yeah, you're quite right. And that's what I meant when I said earlier that they've decided to crash the system. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. not They're not trying to save the system. They, they're deliberately trying to crash it. Mm-hmm. These are outrageous moves. And you can't convince me that anybody in their right mind would be doing this with any idea that it might work. You know, that they and, could recover from this. And with the goal, much. is that right for CBDCs? Because they want control like you would have in China. At least that's what it looks like. Um, they have the control of the, the CBDCs, uh, and we are dependent on them and for, for our finances. Exactly, yeah. For our finances means we're dependent upon them for everything. Mm-hmm. Mm. Our shelter, our home, our transportation. We won't even be able to buy a ticket for a subway if we don't have money. If we don't have money and there's no other source, a legal source of money, we're, we have the choice of going into the black market, which most people would do rather than starve. Mm-hmm. So the black market will be teeming, but it'll be totally illegal. And with the surveillance state that they're building, they'll know everybody who's in the black market and they will be severely punished. So the black market won't function the way it always has in the past because of the surveillance technology that's being put in place right now for mm-hmm. that very purpose, by the way. And um, so it's you'll be between a hard rock and a, a hard place and a rock. Mm-hmm. And they know that. And um, that's why most people who understand this are really dead serious when they say, folks, if you're going to do anything to put to stop this, you better do it now. Stop mm-hmm. thinking about what you're going to do and start doing something now. Yeah. That is a great point. Because as I'm listening to it, I almost feel like, oh man, what are the steps? What are steps that people can take? As probably there's probably several different sides to this Rubik's Cube. Uh, what are sides that they what can they do personally to protect themselves? If they're like, I don't want to use a CBDC, I don't want to be a part of that. Can they protect themselves? Something they can do with this to be able to protect to protect themselves. Let's start there. And then the second thing I would say is, what can people do? Our slogan here is wake up, speak up, and show up. There may be a wake to what's going on, but how can they speak up and show up to make a difference? That is the most important question right there. So as far as the earlier me. question, <laughs> what do you do to uh, prolong the agony or delay the pain? How do you preserve the purchasing power of what we now have. These are valid questions because we do have to live through that, that period of time. And the answer I think is pretty clear and you just get off the track. You're not going to stand on the railroad track when you can see the train coming and it's coming. You can see it and mm-hmm. you can, you can feel the vibration in the ground. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so the first thing, get off the track. What does that mean? That means get rid of money to the best you can. You've got to keep some of it because you're still using it to pay the electric bill and uh, the food bill and gas and so forth. So you can't get rid of all of it, but all of your savings, 
If you expect those to be savings of any value, you've got to get it off the tracks. And now what you do with it, I, I'm not an advisor, but there aren't too many options. You've got to get it into something of um, tangible value that people will want at all times. Mm -hmm. that, that means food. That means uh, tires, gasoline. means uh, well, you just think what you have to have in your daily life. You, we joke about wine. But that's not a bad investment. No, people may people, not need they may not need wine, but in, under conditions of duress, they always buy wine. Want it. wine. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, during the depression, it's like it was like makeup, alcohol, cigarettes. Even yep. though, you know, it's like you know the the, the things that the people are going to want no matter what. But I, you know, I, I would joke on this show a lot. I'm like, man, you know, I encourage. We have it on the the, the screen there. I, there's a guy I've known for 25 years. He's he's two PhDs and he focuses on. You know, he's an economist, uh, but helping people get out of dollars and into something tangible like gold silver and silver, gold. you know, mm -hmm. specifically silver right now because of the gap between it and gold. Like, that's a good move. Get a consultation, at least know why you're not going to do it if you don't do it. But if you don't do that, buy two by fours or nails, you know, or uh, physically like anything, you know, ammunition, you know, mm -hmm. something something that's a physical thing that's not going to go bad you know you don't want to mm -hmm. you know buy a whole bunch of oranges or something you know that's, that is a short <laughs> lifespan or bananas you know i don't care how green they are you know it's just a little but something that's going to be around to kind of help you weather this because it and i'd like to have you dig into this a smidge more um because it's not just our economy right now there's and i had a clip i don't think we have time to even play it right now but the, the BRICS nations are accelerating their movement between now and August and taking applications. And nations are lining up as far as you can see to partner against mm -hmm. us and the petrodollar, which has got to be a, an accelerator to what was mm -hmm. happening already with the Fed. Because mm -hmm. the Federal Reserve is a woodpecker in your wooden boat. And then the BRICS nations are like almost like a grenade that they've already thrown in there and just waiting to go off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we could see that coming. It's just a question of time, as long as um, as the United States could maintain military dominance and uh, and threaten to destroy any government that's you know doesn't go along with it. They've been willing to accept our dollars, but now that this movement is finally gaining momentum, that threat becomes less and less and less until they unleash something maybe very dramatic in the way of atomic weaponry. Could scare everybody. Could do the job force them back to uh, accepting U.S. dollars again. I don't know. But I know that they're thinking about things like that. Mm -hmm. They're thinking about something dramatic that would produce so much fear. And, of course, the fear will come from genuine devastation that um, then these issues that we're discussing will become moot. It's the question of, oh, well, my God, we're in an atomic war. We've got to do what we're told now, uh, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. So, yes. um, I, so the question still remains, what do we do now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I mentioned one thing, we get the money out of the banking system and out of U.S. currency or whatever national currency it's in and get it into something tangible as best you can. And uh, if you're running a business, I don't know how businesses are going to do very well under these conditions either. But if you're running a business, if you're a plumber, maybe you want to invest in some extra piping or something, as you know, um, mm -hmm. to run your business. More but, inventory. Uh, yeah. More inventory, yeah, mm -hmm. that would be very sensible, and um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't buy uh, uh, valuable art or anything like that because it 
it's that's only for the people with money. It's yep. not survival type of stuff. So um, there are plenty of people that have, have written books and published articles on the internet about that very issue. And I think most of their advice is good as long as you focus on something that is useful under times of great stress. Mm-hmm. There, there's two two Those things I like to bring up. Yeah. yeah. Two things I want to bring good. up with, with with you on on this topic before we go on. There's two really influential things. There's conversations you had in the 60s that I mean make you seem like the greatest prophet of all time. And and I think it's because of your understanding and depth of study of the enemy of when I when I say the enemy I'm referring to communism or collectivism. Um the, the conversation you specifically have Yuri Bezmanov, um, you know, it's, I think the versions I've seen are only maybe 13 minutes, just cuts of it that people have done, and you'll know, get it on the screen there. We'll put it in the links below. People, if you've never seen this interview, go back and watch it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, invest 13 minutes in, in, into this. But um, the more deadly than war topic uh, that you did, that's, you know, available on YouTube and is is, is, is around, and, and, and I want to drive people to your, your site as well. But your understanding of what the intentions of these actors were decades ago mm-hmm. is so clear now. The Mickey Willis film, you know, that just came out, the uh, Pandemic Plandemic Three. Three, features your work, and you can just lay it parallel mm-hmm. side by side with everything that's happened with BLM riots and burning down cities and foreign governments buying the rubble that was left behind, and uh, you know, you, you you look at these things. What do you see? As as it could a could a Donald Trump get back in and flip the tables and do enough right things to to push this back? Can anything happen at the top, or is the only fix to all of this organically at the bottom with the, with what I would consider the eighty percent plus of of us who probably don't want this but feel like you're alone in that? Well, that's easy to answer, mm-hmm. and that's uh, the second category. There's no there's no realism to expecting a a change at the top is totally controlled. And the only way to uncontrol it is to undermine the foundations or replace the foundation, not just undermine them, but get people into positions of authority who have no ax to grind except liberty mm-hmm. and get these collectivists, as you correctly identified them, out of those positions. Because whether they're collectivists of the right or collectivists of the left, whether they're communists or Nazis, Fascists, socialists, Republicans, Democrats, um, even conservatives, liberals. I mean, all those words mean nothing. The only thing that means anything is collectivism. These are all variants of collectivism, which is an ideology which is swept around the world. Mm -hmm. And that is the ideology that must be replaced or else there is no hope. But it can be replaced. And and it's... um, there's a way to do it because it's an, it's an idea, first of all, that is correct. And once you hear it explained, most people say, oh, gee, I never thought of that before. Um, when I've had a chance to talk about collectivism versus individualism with even my most extreme uh, collectivist friends, you know, we would call them commies. You know, they're on the left. They're, mm-hmm. They want to take over the world and control everything. And when we talk in depth about some of the issues that that involves You'd be surprised. I'm going to guess that probably about 70 to 80 percent of them right on the spot. Well, after maybe an hour or two, they'll say, <laughs> hmm. to me, that's on the spot. But Yeah, <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> but they'll say, hmm, I'll be darned. Well, you know, maybe I'm an individualist after all. 
And wow. it's because the ideas are clear. They're clear. And um, so it can be done. So all we have to do is just try to do it. Will we be able to? I don't know. But we'll never do it if we don't try. Yep. And uh, if we try, we just might be able to, which is why I created all these these organizational movements that yes. you probably know about. Because it's, it's an effort to do that. And mm-hmm. I'd like to prep, before I come back to that business about Red Pill University and Red Pill Expo and all that, uh, there is an excellent f- documentary film produced by the BBC some years ago on the life of George Orwell. Hmm. If you haven't seen it, come mm-hmm. to uh, redpilluniversity.org. I put the video up on our archives. You've got to see it. And it was, of course, it was all done by acting, but they made it so realistic. The actors were so good. You swear that's George Orwell there. And every wow. every word, every word that he speaks in the film comes from his writings. So even wow. though it's an actor speaking speaking the words, the words are his, well which done. gives it a great, well done, yes. And um, so the reason I mention it is because at the very end, there's there's a, a line that addresses the issue that you have raised. What do we do about it? He, he died of um, tuberculosis. And so the last scene in the film, he's in this, on his deathbed. And um, he's having trouble breathing. And he's gasping for breath. And uh, you can tell he's pretty weak. And there's a, news, uh, there's a reporter there from the BBC, of course, at the end of the bed. And she's asking questions to him. Oh, there she is. Oh, your guy is good. When he he's very good. Up. Yep. Yeah. And there, there's the actor playing the role of. Uh, looks like Orwell. him. Wow. Yeah, it looks like him. He really does. So yeah, and uh, anyway, so he's asked uh, uh, by the reporter, "Well, Mr. Orwell, you have painted a very grim picture in your book, 1984," and um, she says, "It's it's very grim and very difficult to think about, but what can be done? What can what can we do?" And he takes a moment and he sort of looks in the the air. You saw his picture there. And he says, well, there's only one thing that can be done. And that is, and then he turns his eyes away from the reporter and looks right at the camera. And he says, and that is, don't let it happen. Mm. Wow. And that pierced through to my soul. We can talk about all these things. What can we do? What can we do? And we need to talk about, yeah, there's, there's this final, final words. Yeah. There it is. Don't let it happen. Yeah. Wow. There it is. And so I, I've carried that in my heart ever since because everything I do, we can't ignore the short term. Of course, we have to get through that. But if we're, if we're really serious about this life and death struggle and this bigger struggle between good and evil, we just must not let it happen. Yep. And we cannot consider anything. Anything else is not an option. Amen. I love it. One of our, our sayings we say often on this show is everybody was kind of sitting back, and I would probably say us included to a large degree, and kind of hoping that Donald Trump was going to do 80 million things to, to fix all our problems. And I think we've all kind of come to realize quite clearly that the answer is we need 80 million of us to all do one thing each day to save our own country. Yep. And in that, and if that happens, that's mm-hmm. where the hope lies. And uh, I do see that happening. 
uh, mm-hmm. to to a great degree. There's so many things going on right now that were not going on in 2020, 2016, mm-hmm. 2012, 2008, uh, that people are, are hungry for truth and they've had enough negativity that they're sort of... Uh, they have a, an appreciation for truth and the way out, yep. you know, a little bit. And so so we're excited by that. What you offer with the redpilluniversity.org, with that website and the events, um, mm-hmm. I think August, we have August it right now. August the 12th and 13th. In Des Moines, mm-hmm. Iowa, right here in Flyover yeah. Country. Uh, you're, you're, you're coming right to the middle. No matter where you live in the country, you're no more than halfway there already. That's right. And so uh, right there in Des Moines, Iowa, August 12th through the 13th, Red Pill Expo. Um, I think that that is a, a bright uh, light for people mm-hmm. that are looking for a way out. People like Dr. Brian Artis and Dr. Tenpenny. Uh, the, some of the brightest wow. minds in the world in their category are all there in one place, disseminating and sharing hopeful information. Um, I, I also, I think I want to really encourage Flyover family go to the redpilluniversity.org website. The 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 Mickey Willis univer, mm-hmm. uh, documentary, Pandemic uh, Pandemic Three, is available mm-hmm. there. You can watch it for free. There's no roadblock mm-hmm. between you and having information. Everything we've talked about on this show for the last two years with everybody from Clay Clark mm-hmm. and General Flynn and and Eric Trump and all the different every person that that kind of has a glimpse of a piece mm-hmm. of it, it's laid out in a linear way. That an hour and a half, it's like you get it mm-hmm. because uh, uh, and of, share of it his with writings. others, help yes. wake people up, and then also Reality Zone. Dot com, realityzone.com. That's a place that you can get um, G. Edwards information, like his some tools to help to educate yourself, books. You can get audios, all of those Your things. Your friends and family aren't going to listen to you, Zone. but they might look at a tool. They might look at a documentary. That's right. That's exactly right. Man, this has been yeah, so nothing like, helpful. Nothing like handing somebody, handing somebody a documentary uh, when they don't want to listen to you. <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. True. Be like, hey, this really got me thinking. I don't know. You watch it. I want to hear. I want to hear your thoughts on it. You know, and get back. Oh, that's People. My my wife lose, uses that line on me all the time. <laughs> and I, fall, I fall for it every time. She asked me my opinion, and I I find out later that it was a good thing I answered correctly. Otherwise, I would have had to. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is, is great. Well, that's that's uh, the, the key to longevity right there, for that's sure. That's for sure. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, enjoy. You are you are a gift to our country. You're a national mm-hmm. treasure, honestly. And uh, thank you for your courage and bravery and making this information available um, and, and never blinking. Well, thank you, David and Stacy. I appreciate what you're doing. And don't even think about slowing down. Remember... Don't let it happen. Hello, Flyover family. Join me every Wednesday for the Prophetic Report at 1111 Central. You can find it on Rumble. You can find it on the Flyover app. We have such an incredible time of hearing from all of these different prophetic voices like Robin Bullock, Julie Green, Barry Wunsch, Amanda Grace, and Hank Kuhneman. Every week, it's either five or six different prophets that are speaking. And what's interesting is God is speaking through them. And all of these voices come together like puzzle pieces. It is so exciting to hear what the Lord is saying. We're hearing from medical. We're hearing from military intelligence. We're hearing from the financial world. We're hearing from mainstream media. But the most important is, what is God saying? He has not fallen off the throne. He's not nervous. He's not chewing his nails. He is in control. He has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. What a great time to be alive. And I'm so excited for you to join me every Wednesday at 1111. Thank you.
Have you ever wondered about ancient civilizations or the moon landing, chemtrails, the Nephilim, demons? Those are all things that fascinate me. Decided to use our platform of the Flyover Conservative podcast and create a new show called Conspiracy Conversations. Every Saturday morning, we get together with some of the brightest minds in the world that have spent thousands of hours on a topic, churning through the research, looking at things they've traveled, they've been to the locations, they're looking for the truth because they're as curious as you and I are about what's true. What is really true about our past, where we came from, where we are, and where we're going? We don't bring on guests to iron out their wrinkles and find out the things that we disagree on. No more than I go to the grocery store and, and, and try to put everything in the whole store in my cart. I just try to walk out with better ideas than I had when I walked in. If you got something inside you that's like, what about that? I don't even know if I agree, but I would like to hear them out. If you have an open mind and a curious heart, we've got a show for you every Saturday morning at eight o'clock, conspiracyconversations.com. In life, you need to take good care of who is your advisor in yes. certain areas. Don't take advice from people with bigger messes than you in the area you're trying to get fixed. Man, Seek that's good advice. people with wisdom. And uh, when it comes to your finances, we've been blessed for 25 years to have a relationship with somebody that has not one, but two PhDs. We've watched him evolve in this process, understanding how central banks work, how inflation is calculated, mm -hmm. how those numbers, how they calculate inflation can be manipulated by changing what's in the cart they're using for the studies. And and, and when, you, when you're dealing with manipulated information, you're going to get manipulated outcomes. If the numbers you put into your mm -hmm. GPS are wrong, you're going to end up at the wrong place. And so somebody that could break those things down, make it clear and eliminate fear is the purpose of this episode. We have Dr. Dr. Kirk Elliott. Yay! Well, there's a lot of bad misinformation yes. going around. And, and you know what? People are gripped with fear about their bank accounts, right? So, mm -hmm. and and for good reason. I mean, I, 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 however, I'm never saying that people should be gripped with fear. I'm mm -hmm. saying there's a good reason why people are having this, this you know, reaction to it. Mm -hmm. Because even 10 months ago, if somebody were to say, hey, Kirk, I've listened to you on, on Flyover and and, you know, you said to get out of stocks, get out of bonds, just get out of harm's way. And, and I'm sitting on the sideline in cash with money in the bank. It's like, great. That's a very defensive posture, right? A very defensive move. Get out of the things that are coming down. Just sit on the sideline and wait and see, right? That was actually a good recommendation back then because it was the first half of what needed to be done. Mm -hmm. And then the second half would be do something that's going to grow, allocate into tangible assets like gold and silver, right? So, so. But here's where that's all changing, right? It's like, I can't say that money in the bank is safe anymore yeah. at, at all because we've looked at what's happened with five banks failing so far with Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, Silvergate Bank, Credit Suisse, and First Republic, right? Five mm -hmm. created mayhem. Then Martin Weiss at Weiss Ratings a couple of weeks ago says, oh, there's 4,243 banks on the verge of failure. Oof. Well, now this new article on CNBC just this week, um, said that the entire American banking landscape is on the cusp of a seismic shift and expect more pain to come. Mm. Realize this is CNBC. 
This is not some internet blogger, you know, creating right. fear and mayhem, right? This is this is complete mainstream. They're saying that there is massive pain coming in the banking industry. And why? Why is there pain in the banking industry, right? Well, for, for a couple simple reasons, right? And we'll just break it down because everyone needs to know why banks fail. Yep. And it's really easy. Number one, their investments stink. Well, what do they invest in? They invest in the same things you and I do. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, real estate companies, right? It's like, oh, well, if they're all coming down and that's where your banking deposits go in, right? They they don't have good investments either. It's not like they can just sit in bonds um, and expect to get a good rate of return because rates of returns aren't where they were in the '80s when you could get a thirty-year bond paying eighteen percent. No, they're stinky. They're in the single <laughs> low single digits, right? Still, so you can't do that. Um, but then you've got wages coming down because of Biden's economic plan for America, right? You've got inflationary pressures. People aren't spending as much and you've got these interest rates going up, which is really causing the cost of capital for people to go up. And so people are taking more withdrawals than they are putting deposits Mm. in. That is the main three reasons why banks fail. Number one, bad investments. Number two, more deposits, less deposits going in, more withdrawals coming out. Pure and simple. Then you add to that these other weird events that, that like, you know how when, when let's say you're, you're hitting your retirement years and you've had, you know, decades of bad financial mismanagement in your own portfolio. And it's like, I've, I've got to try to hit a home run here. I only have a couple years left until I retire. I'm going to go into cryptocurrency. You do something really risky, right? And stupid. Well, this is what banks are now doing. They have, they're trying to invest all of their assets into something that's going to grow to try to make ends meet. Um, and they they were allowed to do that since March of 2020 when the Federal Reserve with Regulation D actually put the reserve requirement to zero. Right. Mm. It's like, oof. I mean, you add all that together, bad news for banks. Yep. So what this article said is over the next 10 years, the landscape is going to completely change. 50% of all banks, as we know them, will be gone. Not necessarily wow. gone, gone but basically gobbled up by these large big banks. So regional banks, small banks, they're all going to go away, 50% of them, and they'll be bought out by like the JP Morgans and the Bank of America. There's massive consolidation happening. The problem I see with that is that these big banks, JP Morgan, Bank of America, have $50 trillion-ish, you know, each of, of derivatives debt exposure. It's like, oh, my word. Right. So so not only they have some capital to buy out small and medium banks, but now those depositors at those big banks have to worry about when is this big bank going to fit? Mm-hmm. Right. It's, they've got tens of trillions of dollars of derivatives exposure, which is what happened when Credit Suisse got bought out by UBS. And I'm thinking people think that they got the bargain of a lifetime when there's about mm, thirty nine billion dollars worth of deposits in those banks. And they, they bought it for $3.9 billion. It's like, man, that's a steal, right? However, is it really? Because they have over $37 trillion of derivatives. Right. Like, you just paid $3.9 billion to acquire $37 trillion worth of debt. I wouldn't have paid a penny for that. Right. right? It's like nobody would. If we don't invest in to buy debt, we invest into when you're buying companies because of assets. Not debt, right? They did it all wrong, but they did that to save a broken system and to stop the contagion from mm-hmm. spreading in Europe. 
So this is the banking problems that we have. Now, to, to solve some of this banking problem, you've got global institutions like the United Nations, which have uh, an, an answer. <laughs> which is scary. Anytime well, the UN it's, it's starts getting bad, involved. It's a bad answer. And we talked about the first part of this story about two weeks ago, maybe it was a week ago, I can't remember, where their, their plan is by September of next year to have digital IDs that are biometric identified mm -hmm. attached to your bank account, to attach to the Bank of International Settlements, Project Aurora, which is real-time monitoring of every transaction, mm -hmm. you know, of every person, of every company, at every bank in every country, attach that to Project Icebreaker, which basically says, hey, we're actually going to, um, you know, cut you off from wires being sent from bank to bank if your the use of funds doesn't match up mm -hmm. with our ideology, right? This is, this is their stupid goal, but it gets worse. So in this pact for the future, I'm going to read you exactly what it says. So okay. um, one such policy, you know, we're just hitting this kind of midstream in, in their language, is an emergency platform during any events that have a global impact and would provide the UN the authority to, quote, actively promote and drive an international response that places the principles of equality or equity and solidarity at the center of its work. Equity and solidarity. Mm. Doesn't this kind of match up with the Fed now app's official, you know, documents on the Federal Reserve website that says new definition of money, social control, right? They're talking about equity and solidarity. That, that is, that should have nothing to do with money, social right. control, equity, and then solidarity, right? It's all right. A, a means of exchange. It's a unit of exchange. It's a hold of value. That's what money does. So then it goes on a little bit further and you're going to see an alarming trend here of the control and power that they want. So the report notes that some details of the emergency platform were outlined in a paper that they did in March. So they met in March and now the notes of this March meeting are just now coming out with the UN Secretary General declaring, quote, I propose that the General Assembly provide the Secretary General and the United Nations system with a standing authority to convene and operationalize automatically an emergency platform in the event of a future complex global shock of sufficient scale, severity, and reach. Okay, a lot of words Whoa. in there, right? But, but what is a future complex global shock? Well, they tell us in the next paragraph. Future pandemic risks, um, major climate event, a global digital connectivity disruption, a major event in outer space, and general unforeseen risks like black swan events. That's all of all of which major, they kind of control. They control. Yeah. So the the whole part where they put black swan events in there, a black swan event is an unforeseen. Nobody could have foreseen it. Everything that they're talking here about major climatic event. We're seeing that in the news all over the place mm -hmm. right now. They're manufacturing this stuff, yep. right? Even even the article that we talked about Biden two weeks ago, kind of in support of trying to block the sun by putting yep. sulfur dioxide or whatever into the atmosphere and making the top of the clouds more reflective. It's like, wait, word. So they're already doing that. Future pandemic risks. The United Kingdom last week said this is coming to America this fall, where basically you better better get used to people being quarantined, restricted from movement 
unless they get three shots, an RSV shot, a COVID shot, and a flu shot. It's like, how do they know that there's going to be a future pandemic in the fall of this year, right? Well, because they're obviously manufactured, right? It's like, they're already announcing now that you're going to have to have these things, right? Mm -hmm. A global digital connectivity disruption. Again, central bank digital currency, they're, they're starting to see all of this stuff now. Major event in outer space. I don't know what that means other than um, either they're preparing us for an alien invasion, right? <laughs> or, or what else could be an outer space event? An EMP blast, something sure. like that, right? Or even I mean, the threat of something coming here yep. that would cause panic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like these things don't yeah, even have absolutely. to happen. They right. don't even have to have actually happened. It's it's yeah. the idea that it could. There's this possibility. And, and, and because of that, we need we need to tighten up control. Man, this is so interesting, uh, Dr. Kirk, because we just did an interview with Mel Kay just a few days ago. We'll put that in the links below. But she was talking about the things that you're talking about right now. I mean, these are, everything that you're talking about is overlapping what she was just saying. I mean, Colton's well, showing some of the graphics from that interview. Yeah, I mean, this is this is amazing because as you go through this, and the Federalist actually did a report on this meeting, you know, and, and this is where I got a lot of this information from. But you go and you look at some of the source documents and the notes from the meeting. It's like, sure enough, it's it's all there, right? So, so it goes on to talk about who the UN has the power to oversee the stakeholders of the world. So, who are the stakeholders? It lists it again academics, governments, private sector actors, international financial institutions to ensure that there is a unified global response to whatever crisis is declared. What crisis is going to be declared? Whatever they manufacture, what they right? Want? Yep. Yeah. So so then at the end of this article, I mean, the author, um, Jason Justin Haskins at The Federalist, here's his last warning. And this is his quote. If the emergency platform is approved, the United States, as we know it, could cease to exist. Scary statement. But why? Yep. Why would he say that? Right. So don't just take anything at face value. The reason why he would say that is because, David, let's say that you're the president. Okay. Or let's say I'm the president of Stacey. You're the president of America. And and you had a, people that voted you in and gave you the authority to vote on behalf of their well-being and, and the safety and prosperity and abundance of our country, right? They gave it to you. That's what it means when you're the president. Well, why would you give up that sovereignty to somebody who's not even an elected official, just some guy or gal working at the United Nations mm -hmm. saying, oh, I mean, you wouldn't. I mean, nope. but yet there's 192 countries, I think, in the United Nations. Most of them, most of them are on board with this. And and by, the Biden administration has backed this proposal on multiple occasions. Yes. So and they actually, the they actually world, increased the, yeah. the power given to the UN. Mm -hmm. They've, they've given yeah, it more why teeth. In, why in the world would, would not just our president, right, Biden, but the president of Japan or, mm -hmm. or of Germany or of Brazil or all these countries, right, saying, yeah, we'll give up our sovereignty as a nation and the sovereign authority that we have to make decisions on behalf of our own country. And we're going to give it to somebody else who just has a job at the United Nations, right? This is wild. It but is. yet this is the way that the world is going. And so therefore, this all blends into exactly how they need it to plan. When we've been talking about central bank digital currency and ideological spending, and now the power to oversee stakeholders in a world that's in crisis to bring on the world that they want that nobody would vote for otherwise, it's like, wait a second, 
Nobody even needs to vote for this garbage now mm -hmm. because we're giving them the sovereignty to just do it. Right. Yep. This is this is where we're headed, and it's right here, right underneath, because this all gets implemented September of 2024. All right. So listening to this, Dr. Kirk, obviously it's a, a little overwhelming. It seems like, oh, my gosh, what do we do? What do people do? You know, in this, obviously, we can't necessarily stop what they're doing there. What can we do to protect ourselves? Well, you you can't stop it. I mean, we can make noise to our congressmen and women say, do do not, you know, uh, actually go into this system. Do not adopt these. But mm -hmm. but that almost seems to be a moot point, right? I, I don't mm -hmm. think that you're stopping that train. So then, what do we do? The easy part, where it doesn't take a collective voice, it takes your individual voice to decide to act, mm -hmm. right? I would get out of the path of the hurricane. Get out of assets that they want to have control over your bank accounts, your brokerage accounts. When you see that kind of seismic, you know, shift happening, well, well, get out because it's going to affect the stock market, the bond market. It's going to affect things in a very negative right. way. Mm -hmm. Right. So therefore, get out and go into something that's growing. And, and here's where it's just God's provision and wisdom. Right. Gold and silver tend to do very, very well during times like that when other markets are doing very, very badly. Right. So. We're just minimizing our risk, maximizing our return, limiting our exposure. So get out of stocks, get out of your paper assets, go into something like silver that's thriving, that's growing, that's not a digital asset. It's real. It's a real thing that will minimize your risk and maximize your return. And actually, when you do it right, that should put a smile on your face, even though our freedoms are eroding. And what we just talked about is very dark news. Mm -hmm. But with the solution that we're talking about has a very happy ending. Right. Mm -hmm. So so that's why we need to allocate into that strength and certainty. It makes a lot of sense. And it's like something where I mean, we're kind of seeing this come down. We don't obviously know when, but it seems pretty close based on everything that we're seeing and things that are happening with BRICS uh, meeting in August. You know, I mean, obviously, it seems pretty close. So taking action right away as, as far as like at least getting a consultation, you know, would be a wise thing to do right now. When you go to flyovergold.com, it's a landing page. When you scroll down to the bottom, there's a place to fill out your information. When you do that, it puts you in place to have a free consultation. Someone from Dr. Kirk's team will get a hold of you uh, to set up a free consultation. And then you can make decisions from there. It doesn't cost anything. Right. So it doesn't make any sense not to do it. You know, at least find out what your options are. You can also call 720-605-3900 to set up that consultation. I recommend doing it right away because we don't know what the future holds, but we know that this is something you can do to try to get yourself out of the way of what they're trying to do in our country, especially giving up all of our rights to the UN. So Dr. Kirk, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Are you having a hard time sleeping at night thinking, what am I going to do about my finances? You know, times are really changing. They're changing fast. Let me give you a quick example of how. In 1920, if you had a $20 bill and one ounce of gold, you could go into any men's clothing store and buy an entire suit. Wow. You could buy the, the jacket, the shirt, the belt, shoes, the whole bit. Today, that $20 bill, what's it going to get you? Not much. Maybe the socks, maybe a <laughs> handkerchief, but the one ounce of gold could still buy you the entire suit at any men's store in America. That's the difference. That's what inflation does to your dollar. It's a deflating dollar caused by inflation. Now, today, that's happening faster than ever. You need somebody that you trust that can help get you out of a fake currency and into something that's going to keep you safe. And we know a guy 
that has two PhDs by the name of Dr. Dr. Kirk Elliott. We have known him for over 25 years, and he's someone we completely trust. You need somebody that you can get a hold of, somebody that's going to be there for you to get back out of it, and then maybe back into the stock market, maybe back into something else when things settle down. But right now is not that time. You need somebody that you trust and somebody you can call and make those worries go away. That's exactly right. So you can go to flyovergold.com, fill out your information for your free consultation, or you can call 720-605-3900. Do it today. You'll be glad you did. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Flyover Conservatives podcast with David and Stacey Whited. Please subscribe, hit the notification bell, and leave us a comment below. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's podcast, share with those who came to mind. Be blessed and make it a great day. Yeah.